Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical education, the classical world, old books, old things, and the schools that are trying to do it. Um, are we going to start doing like a profile of different schools? Oh, we could. I felt That'd like be, starting off a series of, of some kind. Um, but no, there is a movement called classical education that is in... Well, the U.S. It's in the world, in the Western world, and actually, there's there's a classical school in China, which I find fascinating because they're doing classical education, but they're also weaving in like classical pre-communist Chinese history. Sure. Well, I mean, which, it's they have the Eastern canon, right? Yeah, they're not right. part. They're not as much a part of the Western. Um, canon. But with the same sort of pedagogical ideas about conversation and emphasis on language and and roundtable discussions and that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's I great. Think it's super fascinating. That's fantastic. I love that. Um, but anyway, yeah, there are classical schools all all over the world, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and there's. Um, Really uh, good discussions about classical education um, in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. So, like, Andrew Kern's daughter lived in Africa and worked at a classical school, I think, in Kenya or Nigeria. And um, she has some really great insights on their podcast talking about reading Homer with um, – uh, in, in, the, in the sort of the African culture. It's really cool. Anyway. Now we're further afield. My name is Graham Donaldson. <laughs> I think that could be the the subtitle for our podcast is further afield. Uh, yeah. And I am joined by a bright ray of sunshine, Thomas Magby. Hello. And AJ Hannenberg. Who is just as dour as a stump. Who is, uh, as, are stumps dour? Have you ever seen a stump? It's so sad. That's, That's true. a strange way to describe a stump. I've never thought that before. You don't, you don't think stumps are like calcitrant? <laughs> what What do you mean? I'm, I'm dumb. Can you explain that word to me? I think I'm using it right. Um, like stubborn or refractory. Yeah. Like, like you can't get me out of here. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's the remnant of something that was once living and beautiful and reaching towards the sky. To oh. me, it's a, a tragedy. Okay. It's um, the story of lost life. Really? I feel, I see them as like, they're holding on. They're like, yeah, try to get me out of the ground. No, I see it, It's holding on when you get that little extra sprig that goes mm-hmm. bloop out of the stump and yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. life again. Yeah, That's when they're like. Holding on. Anyway, today we are talking about the second book of a trilogy without having done the first book in that trilogy for your convenience. Further afield, boys. <laughs> no, actually, this is, um, we're talking about, this is the C.S. Lewis space trilogy, which I have never read. Wait, really? I, thought, yeah, I know. I've never read them. I've read, I've read the half of the first book and I was like, this is weird. It is weird. I thought you both had read this book. No, never have. So uh, AJ, you've read excited. this. I read them, and I, I recently read the th- reread the third book in the series, and I loved it way more the second time through. I've just started the third book, and I'm not as crazy about it. Why did you like it more the second time? Uh, I, I read it in college before I had actually been part of any sort of institution, and there's a lot of institutional politics and things that happen, and... I don't know, things about adult life that don't really make sense when you're in college, right? You're not really interested in councils and, the, and budgets and that sort of thing. And those play a part. And I just liked the way that he contrasted sort of the modern view of man with the biblical primal view of man and brought in Merlin and a bunch of other fun craziness. Okay, all right. Well, how about we just talk about the giving tree since we had such a great stump conversation to start this day <laughs> off with. So we could definitely do that. It's an abusive relationship. Is it though? It's a uh, codependency. I don't know. There's something noble about the tree giving to the child, no matter what he asks for. I don't know. I'm just being inflammatory. Okay, good. That's <laughs> I don't know this also book. I don't know what you're talking about. The Giving Tree? Yeah. Shel Silverstein? The no, no idea. Oh. Nope. It's a book about a boy and a tree, and the tree loves the boy, and how the tree cares for the boy. No. Okay, good talk. Okay, we will, in fact, be talking about Paralandra today. Uh, Par- Paralandra is the second book in a trilogy. I was going to say a three-part trilogy, but that is what trilogy <laughs> means. Yep, nailed it. Uh, as, as you can tell, I've been grading uh, some of our senior theses recently, and so uh, <laughs> phrases like that have <laughs> implanted in my mind. A three-part what, trilogy? Hey-o or three-part trilogy? Three-part trilogy, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> the, we are jumping into the second book of this trilogy, and in case you... I think Graham was trying to get some kind of dig at us starting at the second one and that being inconvenient. I will read from the, the words of Mr. Clive Staple Lewis himself. This story can be read by itself, but is also a sequel to Out of the Silent Planet, in which some account was given of Ransom's adventures on Mars, or as its inhabitants call it, Malachandra. All the human characters in this book are purely fictitious, and none of them is allegorical, which is delightful. That little thing at the end. Then I, I, I think I he was frustrated with people calling Narnia an allegory. Yes. He's like, I'm once and for all, stop it. Yeah, and that's that's funny though, because Narnia is allegorical. Can I call it allegorical without it being an allegory? Clearly, the characters are, represent something more than just what they are. I mean, uh, but I would say only like two of them do, right? The witch and the lion. Nope. All the children. The one is for 
the England, England, and one is for America. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I will fight you all. And one of them is Rome, and one of them—that's none of this is true. Okay, so we can start with the second one because uh, Lewis said that we could, so we will. I I don't know if we even said that. This is a trilogy written by C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis. He is a prolific author of many. Oh, prolific author of many books. See, this is a three-part trilogy, now prolific author of many books. I'm really having a rough go of it right now. I choose to blame most of this on that I'm wearing headphones for the first time ever, and I'm very thrown off by the hearing of my own voice as I'm going through this. So you don't have to wear them. I kind of feel like I should. Oh, okay. Good talk. Okay, so why are we talking about the second book in the trilogy when I could have started with the first one? First, I don't really like the first book. Mm. So uh, for whatever that's worth, AJ, do you remember um, reading through Out of the Silent Planet? I read it and enjoyed it a moderate amount. Yeah, that feels like the right way to put it. And in my all too short research before this episode, if you were if you were to look up the Goodreads rankings of all three of the bo- these books, they're pretty similar to each other. But um, the second one is the highest out of the three. And I want to say that the first is the lowest out of the three. Hmm. So it kind of sets up a world that we'll get all the important stuff here. I feel like Out of the Silent Planet is very focused on the language of this world a lot of world building and not a whole lot happens that's interesting as opposed to paralandra where a lot happens and i don't know what happened with the third book that hideous strength but it's like 100 pages longer than the other two so it feels like lewis was realizing he had to like wrap this trilogy up so i don't know maybe you disagree with that maybe it's a good extra 100 pages i like it okay so this is the second of these books so i guess again i thought it would be the all three of us talking about this but i apologize well no you read half of the first book out of the silent planet so what is happening in the space trilogy like uh, it, we're calling it a space trilogy what why is i'll that? tell you what i remember yeah t- give me some give me some so stuff. people uh get in a spaceship and they go <laughs> to another planet is it mars no Venus? yes mars they mars, mars. The first one and when they land there they realize oh there's like civilization and people here and they realize that the people are unfallen that they are perfect creatures that have yet to have had their garden of eden eat the fruit sin against god in heaven moment and then that happens. And that's all I remember. Anything else from that? Well, wasn't that the second that, one? That's the second one, not the oh, first one. Yeah. The, but the first one, a lot of the same things. So the spaceship part is the first one, not the second one. This, I feel like most of what these books are about is a rediscovery of like, what is space? What is out there? Mm-hmm. There's a perception of space as it being a cold, dead, lifeless. Lewis is reimagining that as it's filled with life. There's an a very old episode on the the music of the spheres, which, which mm-hmm. is this idea mm-hmm. that there is, there's the sound coming from space. There's this motion, there's this movement, there's this life coming from space. And Lewis is building out a sci-fi world in that universe world in that universe. I'm That's really, why I didn't like it as a kid why? because I was so enmeshed in like the star Wars, star Trek universe and just lo- more star Wars, just loving the idea of, of that as, uh, as sort of like the, the lens through which I sort of, filtered all sci-fi so to have lewis's vision was just so outside that that i was like this isn't space this isn't spaceships lewis's vision is like what good sci-fi does is it sort of removes you from a complicated question to see it with fresh eyes and he's doing that with genesis and the fall and the creation of man and sort of showing it like what if we're not caught up in our own ideas of what christianity and the catholic church are but Mm -hmm. we just see a primal deity making someone new and then dealing with that on an alien planet. And so he gets to kind of talk about yeah. life on Earth through the lens of life in a different place. But it's not an allegory. <laughs> it's sci-fi. So you, I will fight you guys. <laughs> sci-fi, always, our allegories have a one-to-one yeah. like, character-to-representation yeah, 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 yeah. like, ratio. Like, Pilgrim's Progress. Progress is like the allegory, yeah. right? And there's, there's very, little else that, very little else that is good that is full allegory. And that's, I think, Lewis's point. We, we had people write in after... Which episode was it? Probably the one about Beowulf and typewriters about um, Tolkien's. I think it's the preface to the Hobbit or fellowship of the ring. I think it's in the preface of one of those books where he talks about the difference between allegory and applicability and allegory is that formal Mm -hmm. definition of a one-to-one comparison. Applicability is just, you you can find lessons and stories that apply to your life, even though you don't live in middle earth. Mm -hmm. Isn't animal farm kind of an allegory? Like every animal represents a group of people. Uh, I think probably. Sure. Okay. So, uh, Poor boxer. Yeah. Poor boxer. Let's do an animal farm episode right now okay. instead of parallel. No, no, trip. sorry. Let's keep going. No, okay. Uh, let's talk about horses. Okay. So the first book, uh, out of the silent planet, not really going to go into, but it's the first 
adventure of this crew of people that will return. These characters include uh, Dr. Ransom, who is our protagonist in the second book, a Dr. Weston, who is the antagonist, a character named uh, Divine, who will return later. And then they introduce a lot of the vocabulary that I'm probably going to skip over. So apologies in advance. One of you two can do a, a full episode on Out of the Silent Planet if you so desire one day. But Paralandra um, is a follow-up. So uh, this group of people go to Mars in the first book. They then come back to Earth, and it totally changes the way that they understand the world around them. So they see things differently as a result. Why am I talking about this book right now, other than to be annoying and start with the second book of a trilogy? My main, my main reason for this is that I happened to read it over the Christmas break, and it... Um, it made me think a lot about our last two episodes on Augustine's view on evil and Macbeth may because I'm mm. in a theater and I can't say mm-hmm. Macbeth. Oh, no, no, I'm going to break my leg or something. Okay. So I think two episodes ago we were arguing something similar to evil is not existent. Evil is not real. Am I overstating it to say that? Nope. Okay. That's it. So that uh, evil is not real. We then moved into Macbeth, which is a story of evil having real ramifications on both the the married couple, the main characters mm-hmm. at the center of it, and then at some point, almost the world around them. Yeah, your, nature your, itself. Yeah, your story about the forest um, rising the up. The horses eating each other yes. because the king has been killed. Yeah. Yeah. And so I felt like there was some kind of disconnect between the ideas and those. Mm, interesting. Um, because evil is both not real and is having real impact in the story of Macbeth. And I think Lewis will chart a way that tries to pull these things together that I think says the same thing. AJ, you were saying two episodes ago, says a similar thing to what you were saying last time, but I think maybe threads it in a way, because do you all see the same apparent contradiction that I do to say evil is not real and also horses are eating themselves or whatever? I I see maybe an apparent contradiction, but you could also, I think Augustine would say that what we are seeing is a twisting and disharmony in nature. And I think that jives pretty well with what's going on in Macbeth, right? He says that evil is when good things are in disharmony with each other. Macbeth was originally good. Horses are originally good. The king is good. Their relationship was good. Nature was good. And then things went into disharmony. Yeah. Is discord a thing in and of itself or is it? just the imperfect not even the imperfection this is just the 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 break the broken version of a good thing yeah correct and i think that's the question we'll be getting into but here broken versions of good things still have ramifications correct mm-hmm. and impacts on the world around them yeah so what do you call that other than evil i think that's what you're landing on oh, like, interesting doesn't that doesn't that i mean that's what we, we might come up with a different there's a yeah, I, I, I bring these, I prepare notes and then come here to mm-hmm. have the conversation to land at a different place than I expected to. So we might actually come up with a different word than evil by the end of this. We'll see if we get there. We almost never do. So Paralandra, here's where it goes. At the end of Out of the Silent Planet, uh, C.S. Lewis writes himself into the book. He is someone who's been researching some like neoplatonic document that reveals the existence of these planets that are alive, some version of that that is brought out in the beginning of Paralandra where Lewis, the narrator Lewis in a book by CS Lewis is called by ransom to his house. Ransom tells Lewis narrator Lewis about the store, the story that uh, he knows that he needs to travel to a distant planet. The distant planet is Paralandra and Paralandra is a different name for Venus is all that means. Uh, All of these, all of the planets have different names in the space trilogy. Um, I think they're there. They're Greek names. They're Roman names. They're they're after um, the names of, of gods. I'm trying to look it up. I don't have it right in front of me. Sorry. Um, Earth also has a different name. Earth is whatever Earth's name is. It means the silent planet. So in case you were curious of what the silent planet is, there's your answer. So he uh, Ransom knows that he needs to travel to this distant planet. And the way he's going to get there is through an ice coffin. He's going to be put into a coffin looking thing that is made of ice. And he will be teleported to this planet and then he has no idea what happens after that. That's the entire setup of this thing. So Lewis's job in the book is to wait for Ransom to return and take care of him when he does because he doesn't know what's going to happen. Lewis waits there for a year. Ransom comes back. And then the book is Ransom recounting what happened during his time on Venus. So we'll dive into that. So there are, I guess, three main movements to this book that we'll talk about. I... Again, just from going through 
reviews of the book, the thing that people most hate is that a lot of this book is just talking. And I think that's why this book is better than out of the silent planet. So I guess different strokes for different folks. Uh, I think you would like this book, Graham. I don't know sure. if you would like I'm, it. I'm already intrigued. Good. Okay. Paralandra's so, great. Yeah. Is this your... No. You, do you like that hideous strength more than Paralandra? I don't think so. Oh, Paralandra's okay. just okay. awesome. So Ransom gets into this thing, this ice coffin looking thing and is transported to Venus. He gets there and his coffin melts. And so he's stuck on Venus. He is blown away by the world around him. He... There are many times throughout the story where he'll... All he can say is that he lacks words for what he's experiencing seeing tasting touching any of those things it's colors that he's never seen before it's taste that he's never um seen before um it's a it's like a a temperate like beautiful day um it's just this incredible world that he lands on he has this extended scene about picking a he picks a berry to like feed himself and it's the most perfect taste he's ever had in, in his life so venus is a great place to be apparently he um this whole first part is kind of this world building, setting the stage um, section of it. The, the purpose of this is to get us to ransom meeting the queen of Paralandra. A thing I didn't mention, and I don't know if it will super matter during all this. It's more to bring it up because anyway, the, is that ransom is brought to this planet with no clothes. He's brought naked. Um, he will also then meet the queen of this planet who also um, doesn't wear any clothes they're pulling on this. Um, there's this image of Adam and Eve, right? Sure. This kind of this um, pre prelapsarian pre mm-hmm. uh, this pre fall world where clothing is not necessary, but there's no lust. There's no impurity in this world. So he's there and he meets the queen of Paralandra. Her name is Tenadril. Tenadril. Does that sound right? I think that sounds right. Cool. She, um, she looks human. The only main difference is that uh, she has green skin. So that's the, the main difference between her and ransom. She talks about a king, but this king is absent, and we don't meet him until much, much later in the book. And this this first part of the book, this kind of um, this calm, this world building, is ended with um, Ransom spending months learning about Paralandra. He uh, and it's just happiness. It's just he enjoys his time there. He was sent there not really knowing his mission in the first place, and he still doesn't at this point. And he just enjoys the time they learn from each other. Um, realize that there's no knowledge of evil on this world there's no knowledge of sin there's no knowledge of harm and violence or any of those um bad things there's no there there aren't even words in the language on paralandra to express these ideas um and so it's this great idyllic world that he is brought into but oh at one point he tries to lie i just i thought this was a I just really like this image. Hold on. Let me pull this up. So he um, tries to lie to the queen at one point. Um, She's talking about the king and the king has left and hasn't come back and it doesn't bother the queen. And Ransom is like disgusted by this. And the queen notices this in his face that something is bothering him. So um, the queen asks, does, does this look on your face mean anything that you're looking upset? Ransom says, they mean nothing. It was a small lie, but there it would not do. It tore him as he uttered it like a vomit. It became of infinite importance. The silver meadow and the golden sky seemed to fling it back at him. As if stunned by some measureless anger in the very air, he stammered an emendation. They mean nothing I could explain to you. So it's, it's almost as if sin is impossible in this place where he has gone to. What do y'all think of the sound of this place right now? Is the sound, what do you think? I mean, Lewis is queuing up his, it, it sounds like the Garden of Eden in Paradise Lost. Oh, interesting you say Paradise Lost. It's the garden in general, right? Yeah. What, 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 is, what specifically well, I mean, is about it, Paradise um, Lost? Well, we don't have that much detail in the garden in the Bible. Yes, we just correct. have it that it's that it's the garden. But all of this sort of description of where nature itself almost seems to have a personality that reacts to to this yes. guy's lie. Yes, I mean that that we have that kind of uh, thing where in um, Paradise Lost, once sin happens, nature groans. Like there's a sort of there's this collective almost. Uh, groan that the whole of create oh, the whole of the garden does, and so it kind of sounds like yeah that 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 he's he's playing up that this that um the perfection of the of the cre- created order itself has personality yes and interacts with ransom right he can't escape 
the nature and not and the moral realm is woven into nature yes whereas maybe we more as modern people think that the moral realm is apart from nature nature is immoral it's you know not killer, immoral amoral amoral yeah it yeah. is amoral uh, morality has nothing to do like the lion doesn't feel guilty about killing the lamb or whatever right um yeah that's it because it's the silver meadow and the golden sky that are judging him mm-hmm. for this so there's no it's not something outside of nature that is judging him for this lie. It is nature itself. There's something in it that um, has a moral character to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, anything, AJ, on Venus so far? Well, I was just going to say it sounds like Schlitterbahn. Schlitterbahn. <laughs> wonderful place. Golden skies. I, mm-hmm. Beautiful. I, I don't know about the golden skies. I also, I don't know if I, anyway. I, think, I hate Schlitterbahn. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I hate Schlitterbahn. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you All amusement li- parks generally. I like water slides. Oh, that's that's like the one amusement park I'm super into. It's where you get like hepatitis C. <laughs> oh my god! Just from like swimming. That's yep. man, <laughs> so bleak. Oh. Yeah, why am I the not ray of sunshine? What are you? <laughs> yeah, Seriously. it's raining on all why my. Am brains. I the negative one? I'm no, trying to talk about. Remember when I tried to talk about uh, absurdism and you grumped it? And no, no, you want to talk about the meaninglessness of life. That's what we were responding to. No, no the and absurdity then you, of life. You grumped hard on one flew over. Yep, I yeah, did. because they've been. So okay. they deserve I, grump. What and do you like want from after me? after talking about it, you had right to grump. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Okay. But good. the thing is, Schlitterbahn is just like I'm moving past this. No, absolutely uh. not. Okay. So, um, so Ransom and the Queen are having this wonderful time. I don't want to hear your thoughts. We're talking about it in between episodes. Uh, great. Pa- Patreon, if you want to pay for this useless content, then please do that. Okay. So then uh, Ransom and the Queen have this great time. Um, then. But there's nothing, nothing sexual, nothing romantic. It's just they are able to be around each other, and there's no um, impropriety. Does Ransom, a fallen man, feel inappropriate being naked? No, huh. he is n- he, ashamed or like a little embarrassed. Or? He, he comments on it. He's like, "This is weird that I'm being asked to do this." But once he, it's one of those things you forget about once he gets to Venus. It's just, uh, mm. it's not commented on really until this moment right now. So. Ransom and the queen are again, having this great time when a, another character from out of the silent planet, um, appears. And this is Weston. Um, Weston is another doctor, doctor, uh, Weston and Ransom are both, um, doctors and, uh, Ransom, I'm sorry. Weston is looking to explore other planets. It seems to conquer them. That was essentially his goal on Mars was he viewed the native population as one ripe for, um, conquering so that he could take resources from them he, he, he no respect for the people who live on that planet so not not a great guy weston shows up his first accusation is is what you're talking about graham his first question is like what what are you doing here you're not wearing any clothes she's not wearing any clothes is this why you came to this planet mm. to, you know to, yeah so that's his first observation <laughs> like that's the first thing he brings to this um this paradise he makes a an accusation of impropriety yeah, with right off the bat yeah. right off the bat yeah um Ransom then has the queen leave because he, he doesn't want her to be corrupted by Weston appearing. And they have this first back and forth where Weston reveals that he's no longer purely. um, I think he would say he's no longer purely a materialist. He's no longer, he no longer only thinks that physical things are what exist. He now is open to the spiritual existence. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's great. So, are you sure? Have you read this part of it? I have not. Read not okay, I've never so, read this book. Okay. I've never even opened it. You literally described it when. Okay, so he is having this back. Ransom and Weston are having this back and forth. You just know it. I don't understand. So they're having this back and forth about Weston no longer being purely materialist, and, and the more Ransom asks questions, the more Ransom realizes that Weston believes in some kind of spiritual force, but it's not a personal force, and it's not moral or immoral. It's purely spirit right so it's like a deist kind of kind of well or like almost like a hindu like it's brahman right yeah, i was gonna say because it would be deist but an active god which isn't deism that, that may be more to it that there's no there's no name to this force and there's no goodness or badness to this force maybe it's actually the force oh right? it sounds like he's a he's a new age yes that's probably closer to it uh, uh so there just is the spiritual realm around him uh it's they go on about this for a little while it's not really uh it's not the the meat of the book, uh, but this goes poorly. So they have this back and forth. Weston eventually says to Ransom, do you see you timid scruple mongering fool? I am the universe. I Weston am your God and your devil. I call that force into me completely. Hmm. <laughs> 
Oh, that sounds like a dangerous thing to yeah, say. That went, that took a turn. Then horrible things began happening. A spasm like that preceding a deadly vomit twisted Weston's face out of recognition. As it passed for one second, something like the old Weston reappeared. Um, and then he, Weston starts calling out for help, but to no avail. Weston becomes possessed at this point. There's no other, there's not really another word for it. They keep using like zombie language to describe what Weston looks like after this point. Um, so he, he appears to be dead, but he's still in motion. Weston shows himself to the queen. Like Weston finds a way to get to the queen. Um, as a part, yeah, Weston, yeah, that, that's all there is to it, right? At that point. Um, Ransom catches up eventually, gets to the palace where the queen and Weston are talking. And this starts the, the second part of the book, the uh, really the kind of the meat of the book, that most of what's happening here is the possessed Weston. He's called the unman at certain points, um, but he's a figure. He's like a devil figure, right? Is trying to convince the queen to break the one rule that's clearly been set by um divine yeah by oh by by god what's the rule and the rule is that the queen cannot sleep on the fixed land a feature of this world i didn't mention is that the world that the it's made up of all these islands but they don't stay in one place they move all the time which just it sounds like seasickness right but apparently it's fine so she's like a penguin on the ice flows i guess so i guess yeah the ice moves all the time yeah so that's exactly right so she's a penguin so the um the one rule is that she can't sleep on the fixed land. The fixed land is the one spot in the world where the land doesn't move. And I think there's a mountain on it as well. Well, the fixed land is where ransom and Weston just met. They were mm. on the fixed land. Mm-hmm. And before ransom could come back, he had to sleep because he got tired. He slept on the fixed land and it was like a horrible night's sleep. It's his worst. It's his worst night's sleep since he's been on the planet. So what ransom has learned is that it's this like, it's not a good thing that's being withheld from her. It's like, she's being asked to not have a bad night's sleep. This made me wonder in paradise lost. Does Milton say anything about like the taste of the fruit? That is really good. Oh, it is actually good. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. I was wondering if they would have paired up. Well, on no, the smell of it is really good. It smells great. Um, I can't remember if when she eats it, the thing is Eve eats the fruit so fast that she, I don't, she doesn't savor it. She like shovels it in her mouth as fast as she can. Interesting. And when Adam eats it, he just takes like a bite but they don't really talk about the taste of it. Satan says that the, t- the fruit was delicious, but Eve just smells it or she's just sort of attracted to the, the scent, but they don't really, he doesn't really go on about like the taste of it. Okay. Why? Uh, again, just because in this, the one, so the analog here is don't sleep on the Island. Queen, yeah, queen is told not to sleep land. on the fixed land, which is this Island that doesn't move. Eve is told Adam and Eve are told not to eat of this fruit. Lewis is setting this up as the thing being held from them isn't a good thing. It's, they're not missing out on some like awesome thing by not being able to sleep on the island. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if well, they're not really missing. I mean, Satan says they're missing out, but like, it's not like this fruit is so delicious That's and every I mean. other fruit was, is like skunk like that. fruit or whatever. Right. Um, That's what I was curious yeah. about. Okay. So they, this, that's what the, um, Weston, the possessed Weston is trying to convince the queen to sleep on the fixed land and break this one rule. He has all these arguments for it. Uh, one of them is that this is actually what God wants for you is to break this rule is to experience this thing that you had to be prepared a certain length of time to be ready mm-hmm. to have this experience. That's exactly Satan's argument. Is it really? Okay. Yeah. Or, um, that is one of the features of Satan's argument is that God secretly wanted, wants you to do this. And he was just waiting for you to like grow the cojones to do it. Yes. Do they have anything about age in there also of like growing older, like wisdom is a associated with age? Oh, or no, like I okay. not. I don't think so. Not that I can remember. It's just, it's like an obsession of this queens is that she wants to grow up. And by that, she means learn more. Oh, interesting. Which then sleeping on the fixed land is this piece of knowledge she doesn't have that she's tempted by. There is the, the only, um, corollary would be that God has said that he wants, or the, no, they're to turn the world into a garden and by eating the fruit, she can be more divine and um, sort of eat. She sort of levels up into an angel. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You're you supposed to be of, an angel, eat the fruit, and you'll become yeah. the stuff of angels, you're which are weird the, essence. You're making this wilderness a garden so that it can be like heaven, so that you can be like angels in heaven. Yeah. Eat the fruit now, and you can kind of like jump the line. Yes. That's pretty similar to yeah. what is being okay. talked about here, that she could grow up on her own just from getting older or... Right 
kind of jump jump the line, I guess, is what mm-hmm. AJ just said. It's like, to me, it's always when students say, well, Mr. Donaldson, how can I know what the bad is unless I, like, go and make a bunch of mistakes now as a teenager? Right. And it's like, I mean, you're just saying that to, like, go do stuff you want to do. To justify the stuff, yeah, <laughs> to exactly. To justify yeah. the Look sin. at the people around you. There are plenty of people making mistakes, man. That can yeah. tell you all about how it's not worth making those mistakes. Yeah. Right? yeah. So that's one, one, one line of argument is this kind of knowledge side of it. Another is that she will... What's the right way to say that the heroes of the women of earth would, would do something like this. They would act against Mm. the rules that are put in place. They would uh, become a hero by rejecting this rule, doing what they know is right and going to sleep on the Island. Right. There are lots of different arguments that are tried. This is, this is, this makes up days and days and days of, of uh, conflict of contact. Ransom doesn't stop them. Ransom is a part of these conversations also. And on the first day, he's like, great. He's responding. It's this like great dialogue. And again, it's like really interesting stuff because you get these three different perspectives, mm-hmm. the kind of innocent person just trying to understand the two sides, one trying to pull her toward evil, one trying to to keep her um, from that, to keep her toward They're the good angel and bad angel. Yes. Sitting on, on either shoulder, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, so th- on the first day, this is going great. Well, that night, uh, you know, Ransom is trying to go to sleep and, uh, I might read it. I don't know if I will. It's not, it's not like great dialogue. I love this part though. This is the part I always remember. So ransom is trying to go to sleep and, uh, the Weston possessed Weston. It's just, I think a few hours go by here. Yeah. A few hours go by. And then, um, uh, ransom. It said Weston ransom. Weston said, well, said ransom, nothing said the unman. Uh, it repeats a few times. Uh, Again, there was silence. And again, about a minute later, the horrible mouth said ransom. This time he made no reply. He wet, uh, he ransom made no reply another minute. And it uttered his name again. And then like a minute gun ransom, 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 perhaps a hundred times. What do you want? Ransom roared at last. Nothing said the voice. And this is repeated all throughout the night. So Weston is just keeping ransom awake by repeating his name over and over and over again. So it's like that. Yeah, it's it's the kid trying to bother their mom or dad and like not actually having anything to say, right? It's not sophisticated evil; it's petty, yeah. childish evil. That's uh, what children almost cowed ransom the worst was the union of malice with something nearly childish. So it's not, you know, the whatever picture of the devil being this kind of like suave uh, figure is um, undermined here, right? He's, he just wants to be obnoxious. Yes, he, it's embarrassing, really, is what it is. Um, so he the possessed Weston keeps ransom up all night long so that ransom starts slipping. He's not able to respond as well as he was before. He starts sleeping in because he just can't, um, can't get the sleep that he needs. What I'm tr- Weston doesn't need sleep at this point because of this um, spirit that has taken him over. Okay. So kind of add all this together. So you have this like really well educated, um, force that has taken over Weston and is making these really convincing arguments to the queen to, persuade her to break this one rule ransom is having some success but he's losing i don't remember if the part i'll read now is before or after it happens but weston starts to have successes he is able to convince the queen to uh, wear clothes she puts on this these this feathered outfit to try and um, look beautiful he weston introduces the queen to mirrors to to teach her vanity and fear fear of old age there are all these successes that are happening and ransom realizes that he is outgunned that he doesn't have the ability to win this fight. Well, I mean, he's fighting like an age old force. Yes. Right. Yes. And so that leads to this part right here. This is the part that when reading through, this is what really um, struck me and made me want to have this as an episode. So hopefully we'll camp out here for a little while. So this is ransom kind of at the bottom of um, despair. Oh, but this is nonsense, said the voluble self. He, Ransom, with his ridiculous piebald body and his ten times defeated arguments, what sort of a miracle was that? His mind darted hopefully down a side alley that seemed to promise escape. Very well, then. He had been brought here miraculously. He was in God's hands. As long as he did his best, and he had done his best, God would see to the final issue. He had not succeeded, but he had done his best. No one could do more. Tis not in mortals to command to command success. He must not be worried about the final result. Maladil, which is the what God, God would see to that. And God would bring him safe back to earth and after his very real, though unsuccessful efforts. 
Probably God's real intention was that he should publish to the human race the truths he had learned on the planet Venus. As for the fate of Venus, that could not really rest upon his shoulders. It was in God's hands. One must be content to leave it there. One must have faith. Oh, dude. There's a next paragraph that I'll read in a second, but give me your response. It's a cop-out. Why is it a cop-out? It's like, it's that silly, you've ever heard that really silly sermon illustration where the guy's like drowning and he's like, oh Lord, save me. And then like the speedboat comes Uh up Yes. and he's like, hey, I'm here to rescue you. And he's like, no, God's going to save me. And the boat's like, all right, bye. And then like it happens a couple of other times and then the guy drowns and he goes to heaven. He's like, God, why didn't you save me? And God's like, "Uh, I sent you a speedboat. I sent (laughs) you this guy in a canoe. I sent you all this stuff. The idea being that... um, this is sort of maybe like the reciprocal image of that is, oh, God's in control. He doesn't need me to act in the world because if God wanted, if God wants this to happen, then he's going to let it happen. Uh, he doesn't need me to do it. Um, my real mission is to go do this other thing, this like, you know, reporting of yes. of, of, of scientific discovery or whatever. It's like lower success, Ooh. right? This thing that he can be successful at. Yep. Um, is all that God actually expected of him in this experience. God doesn't want me to be a hero or want me to like speak into the spiritual life of this enormous situation. Right. That's like above my pay grade. God just wants, you know, yeah, it's, it's cowardice or cop outs. Mm, Okay. AJ, do you agree? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I, (laughs) you know what happens, right? I don't know. Yeah, I know what happens and I don't know how much more, I want to add, except that he's in a very difficult place, right? If yes. if you have done your absolute best and you have still found failure, then you must wonder about your purpose there, if your purpose was yes. something else other than success, because he's done his very best. Yes. Um, we found out that a second later, his best is going to look a little bit different than he thought. Yes, but. and that's, so he's tried this one method of arguing with evil, right? And that hasn't uh, led where he wanted it to go. But I'm wondering on this one, particularly if, so to say that evil is nothing is to say that, so there is a good God who is un, um, uncorruptible uh, and no evil can overcome that God, right? But we as individuals can be corrupted. We can experience evil. I'm just, I'm wondering if there's any connection between this and our points on evil from a few episodes ago. Do they intersect at all or, or, or I guess are they arguing at different levels? So to say a few episodes ago, evil doesn't exist. Well, it does exist, right? We experience it in our day to day. And it's a thing that must be, we must do something about. Is it, is it sufficient comfort to say that God can't be corrupted? Therefore evil doesn't exist. I, I I think that that is a, like what we're doing is sort of maybe equivocation where we're giving two different definitions to evil. So, so one is like, evil as something corrupt or corruptible um, versus evil as a cause. What Augustine is rejecting is evil as a self-existing cause. It is not in itself a thing, right? What evil is, is the corruption of good things. So is a corrupt good thing evil? Yeah, you can call it evil. It's a corrupt good thing. Just like this arguer you have was originally a doctor whose ultimate goal was to understand the universe. Right. He understood it poorly and then did a silly thing and invited <laughs> the forces of the universe into his into own body. Him. Right, yes. And that force of the universe was probably also originally a good thing that has come into disharmony with everything else. And there, because of that bitterness or misunderstanding or loss of love, right? Bitterness yep. can come from loss of love. He, they mean to corrupt more things. And yep. so are they corrupted? Yes is evil its own soul thing. Well, no. I mean, you have the body of a a person who was originally created good and you have a deity who was probably originally also good and they have become corrupted. And so, yeah, I think what we're actually doing there is accidentally saying like evil doesn't exist because God can't be corrupted. Well, no, evil doesn't exist because it's not itself a soul cause. Something cannot be completely and thoroughly 100% evil. It is a corrupted good. Sure. But a corrupted good may be called evil as so long as what we mean is corrupted good. Yes. And that's on the side of Weston being corrupted. I was 100% on the same page of Weston was not beyond salvation. And even in a few, right. in a few chapters we see, he gets one more chance, right? So clearly Weston is a good that is corrupted. It's that force, though, that I'm, I'm not so sure about. You're saying there's that force came from somewhere ultimately, right? And maybe was not created bad. Lewis doesn't set that up, but I mean, if we look at, say? at, you know, Christian, Christian doctrine on Satan, originally he was the best of things. 
and it was the corruption of something that used to be the best of things that has made him so thoroughly disharmonized with everything else. If sure. it was something of a lower stature that had been corrupted, well, we're not going to be afraid of like a thoroughly corrupted ground squirrel, right? He can't, he can't wreak as much havoc in I mean, the world, but because he I'd had, be pretty nervous about that, <laughs> but because he had so much power originally, that's what makes him dangerous is it is a good that was so good and so grand that has ne- therefore become so disharmonized with everything else in creation. Yes. Okay. I dig that. I, I do. I think part of this is again, the, I think it was a, it was a conversation at the end of the episode of like, well, there's still something we have to do in response to bad stuff in the world. Mm -hmm. I think that was something that you were responding to. I think that's your, what you're saying here too, Mm -hmm. is that Mm -hmm. it is a cop out to say that because evil doesn't have its own creation that we therefore give into it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that? Yes. You're on the same page for all that. Okay. Yeah. Just because it's not like an existent self cause doesn't mean that like when we see that the disharmony of evil, we aren't supposed to root it out. Like if we can get rid of that disharmony and bring things back into harmony as our hero is trying to do, then we should. Yes. Yeah, totally. And that's which ultimately is his response to all of this, right? This, the next paragraph immediately after that, it snapped like a violin string. Not one rag of all this evasion was left relentlessly unmistakably the darkness pressed down upon him the knowledge that this picture of the situation was utterly false his journey to paralandra was not a moral exercise nor a sham fight if the issue lay in in god's hands ransom and the lady were those hands the fate of a world really depended on how they behaved in the next few hours there you go the thing was irreducibly nakedly real they could, if they chose, decline to save the innocence of this new race, and if they declined, its innocence would not be saved. It rested with no other creature in all of time or all of space. So Ransom realizes that he's got to do something. He does have to do something. And I love the end of this book so much. Um, I guess I can go... Yeah, we can do that, and then we can do like actual takeaway stuff. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so at, there's more that happens after this. I'm not really going to go into it. I'll... I'll to get to the interesting part. So what ransom realizes is that he's been going about this the wrong way and that his attempt to in, encounter evil on its own terms is failing him. He's not able to out argue evil. Evil has a way of twisting knowledge and words and is captivating in some sense to the queen. And there's no, there's no real way to get around that. So what he, he realizes it's kind of revealed to him is that he he needs to confront evil physically. And so instead of this being an arguing match and trying to win over the queen, he realizes he needs to kill Weston. He needs to kill or rather the possess Weston. He needs to um, attack. Um, this is the part that you love. Why do you love oh, this? I love this because in, in my head, when I read this book, I had read mere Christianity and a bunch of other CS Lewis. And in my head, Lewis is a theologian. He's yeah. a philosopher and an arguer. And I thought, what was going to happen in this book is that Ransom was going to come up with arguments that would defeat this guy, right? That he was going to figure it out and he was going to theologically put him in his place. And then the, the girl would, the queen would think, yes, you are correct. I see that now. And this guy is false. That's not what happens. He, I don't want to give spoilers, but I mean, we're at that point. So he, he pummels him with his fists. Right. And I, I sting and love that, uh, that, that bent that I now see in CS Lewis, that he loves to bring things to the real natural way things are supposed to be and so ransom just beats him up yes. and i love and like the the adolescent in me when i read that i think that was early college i was like yeah yeah fight him beat the snot out. i was so excited i was like a fist fight as an end that's fantastic i got so excited but it's also a funny scene because they're like two middle-aged guys like they're not good yeah. they're not they're not good at fighting neither is elegant yeah. and, and, and like the the force that has taken over weston is 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 a uh, a force of knowledge of, of intellect not of fist fighting and it doesn't so, make him stronger and it it, it'd be stronger, like no. us fighting and like mm-hmm. academics yes very right? and, and i mean they go after it right they like they're, they're <laughs> trying to figure out like how to punch because they don't really know what they're doing but uh, they they fight. They get into a fist fight, and ultimately Weston wins. I'm sorry, um, Ransom wins that fist fight. Hey. And the funny thing is, isn't the queen there when this happens? At the very beginning, yes. Um, and but then Weston runs off. Right, Weston runs off into the woods and tries to get away from Ransom. Weston is possessed. Weston is realizing that he's not going to win this fight. That for all his knowledge and intellect, he has no real power here. He he's um, stuck inside the body of a middle-aged guy. So they, yeah. Wasn't ransom sort of afraid that he'd have a bunch of extra punching power because he's possessed. And then it turns out, Nope, he hits like an academic. And so, uh, 
Weston runs off into the woods. Ransom runs after him. There's this little chase sequence. And at one point, the, the force leaves Weston. So uh, Weston is himself for a little while. And Ransom and Weston have this back and forth. Ransom is trying to offer this chance to Weston to uh, to to leave the situation to improve. Uh, Weston describes th- his horrible situation. He he he's stuck among the dead is how he describes it, and it's no other. He describes hell is what he describes for pages on pages on pages. That's what Weston is experiencing right now, and he's miserable and he is scared to be there. He's scared of being possessed again. Um, it's like a really it's a sad it's a sad scene to read, and Ransom gives him this chance to escape that um as weston is fighting for control over his body ransom yells to him are you there weston he shouted what cheer pull yourself together all that stuff you've been talking is lunacy say a child's prayer if you can't say a man's repent your sins take my hand there are hundreds of mere boys on earth facing death this moment will do very well but weston can't do it can't bring himself to do it he's eventually possessed again by this force and uh Weston and Ransom are near each other. I forget if they're in the water or near the water, but Weston now possessed again, tries to drown Ransom. So um, we had thought for, we had thought that Ransom was going to win. Weston kind of gets the upper, upper hand, starts to drown Ransom. It's a bummer. Ransom, obviously, come on, obviously gets out of the situation, <laughs> um, chases Weston to a cave. There's more fist fighting. There's this like giant earthworm looking thing that shows up that, Weston summons this like giant evil creature to uh, attack um, Weston or to attack ransom. I keep met. Wait, 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 did it come out of the water? Was it like a sea serpent? No. Um, I think it came from Weston. I can read it. Hold on. Yeah. Can you read it? Sure. I'm wondering if C.S. Lewis is pulling from Norse mythology here. Slowly, shakily with unnatural and inhuman movement movements, a human form scarlet. Is that him? Oh, that's the unman. Hold on. Oh, then a tubular mass, which reflected the red glow uh, as if it were polished. His heart gave a great leap as the branches suddenly resolved themselves into long, wiry feelers, and the dotted lights became the many eyes of a shell-helmeted head, and the mass that followed it was revealed as a large, roughly cylindrical body. Horrible things followed, angular, many-jointed legs. Does this ring any bells? No. Okay. I was thinking maybe he was doing a Midgard serpent kind of thing. Ah, That'd be way too cool. And if he like slithered out of the water and was like the, the serpent that encircles the world, but nope, it sounds like a big crab. It's yeah. It's connected to these three parts. So I get more like a kind of wasp, like, um, I don't know, gross, disgusting, but it's not that it is not (laughs) that I apologize. So, you know, someone's this giant creature, um, ransom realizes there's nothing actually to be scared of because nothing can hurt him here. They don't have death in this world. Mm. Um, and his lack of fear, um, in, in essence conquers this beast such that it's just a creature. It's no longer something to be feared more fist fighting. And ultimately, uh, ransom beats Weston again and realizes he can't just leave Weston as is Weston is not going to change from the situation. Um, um, ultimately throws Weston. They call it a sea of fire. It sounds like lava, but throws him. It's like a very Mordor scene, but takes ransom, takes Weston, throws him into this sea of fire. And that's the end of Weston. Weston is killed as a result of that. Um, there's more that happens after this, but this is like the weird part of the book where, but does the queen ever sleep on the Island? Queen does not sleep on the Island. Hey! So the, so Paralandra is saved in that way. What happens with the mirror and the feathers? I don't know if they resolve anything of that after the scene. Um, Ransom is acquainted with, um, they have different names for these gods. What is the, he's, he, he meets the God of Paralandra, which I believe is named Paralandra because nothing makes whatever. So he meets, um, Paralandra and the God of Mars, who is the one from the first book. They have this long conversation. I'm not going to go into it. He then goes back to see the queen, the queen, the king has returned to the queen and all is right. The, these two spiritual beings pass on authority to the king and queen for all of Paralandra and all is right. They have avoided a fall. These, this king and queen will live long, long, long lives and eventually will be a part of, um, um, fixing earth, I guess is, is one way of describing it of whatever end time thing happens. They talk about, they will be there. They will be a part of that. Ah, interesting. Cause they are these, um, still perfect beings. They've learned, about mm-hmm. evil. Even the King has learned about evil. Um, even though he didn't 
have to experience it. The queen was tempted, but did not give in to this evil. Mm-hmm. And she knows of it, but is not tempted by that knowledge anymore. It's like science fiction from a guy who loves medieval cosmology. I mean, literally, it's exactly what it is, right? Well, I mean, if you meet the representatives of the planet, that's totally a medieval cosmology, right? That there's yeah. intelligences in the spheres and the gods are the planets. Well, he's just, it's very nerdy. I mean, as is like everything he does, right? Isn't and it? I love it. Yeah, yeah, good. So... And that's, you know, it's a happy ending for all of this stuff. Uh, Ransom is sent back to Earth, and then that's the end of that. So he, there's all this imagery that I'm, I'm not pulling out. There are, you know, I've, I've focused mostly on the plot, so apologies for all that stuff. He finds that from his battle with um, the um, possessed Weston, that there's this bite on Ransom's heel. <laughs> and that bite ultimately leads to him not being able to stay on Paralandra. So the death that he has to experience is a return to normal life, right? Otherwise he would live there and be happy and love it, but he doesn't get to stay there. What's my point with all this? Um, that in, I just, what, what's the way to say it? That evil is a force that has to be fought and can't always be out reasoned. I find very powerful this, this scene that AJ is talking about also, that for all the attempts at talking to and um, addressing the concerns of this evil force, what ultimately has to happen to it is it has to be eradicated. And there's no way around that. Um, what's, what's the way to say it? That um, there's not a, what presents itself as reason and rationality isn't. It's um, a force with a, with a viewpoint. Um, that evil also desires not just the corruption of um, that figure that the queen in that situation, but of all the planet ultimately were the queen to fall. All of nature would fall as a result of as well, that there's this connection between the two. They aren't separated in some artificial way. Well, because the only way that evil has any kind of essence in the world is through the corruption of something. So it makes sense that it has this desire to corrupt. Yes. Almost like, like a virus, right? Like, or, or something that is infectious. Yes. Um, which I think we talked about on that, uh, on that episode before, or you even trace it back to talking about, um, coveting and the desire from Rene Girard, um, that, that is a sort of the central, the last commandment is to, is a warning against wanting. Yes. And, um, and there's something about the power, the power of desire, kind of like what AJ was saying with Satan is the most glorious uh, and then fell the, the hardest. There's something true about uh, our human desire that is glorious and falls the hardest as well. Yes. Um, I think of interest, and I, I just looked this up, this book was published in the midst of World War II. Yes. So that's his point about the, you know, many boys are praying this prayer as they die. He's talking about soldiers that are that are dying at this time. Hmm. Yeah, and and it would make sense that I mean you can't out reason Nazis, right? Correct. That there's no well, uh, that's complicated. Yeah, right. Ultimately, they had to be fought and defeated in war. Right. Um, I do worry. I, I don't want to overtake this to be like, well, all of your enemies need to be Punched killed. In the face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, the ideology or the um, or no, even deeper than that. It's it's not. It's the manifestation of evil in the world. Like yes. we don't. We don't say them, and this is maybe even why we say this isn't an allegory. It's not like so go punch your enemies in the Correct. face. It's yes. yeah. evil still exists in the world, yes. and and Satan needs to be punched in the face, not someone you don't like. Not like your neighbor who didn't give your lawnmower back. Yeah, I I, I think the the situation in World War II, like you could probably reason with individual individuals on the Nazi side, sure, sure, right, but. But as a whole, as a force, like it was it something to be needed to be mm-hmm. yes. physically mm-hmm. defeated. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is this is why it's so interesting to me. This book is because it's almost a commentary on just war. Like there are wars that are justly and righteously fought, which is a whole different conversation. I don't know if you want to have it, but not now. Yeah. But because uh, Weston is given the chance to repent. Weston is given the chance to hmm. cut out this evil from his life and come back. It's because this force is in him that he ultimately has to die, has to be killed. So it's not Weston. Weston's the problem for inviting demon possession. Don't do that. That's not a great thing. But Weston isn't ultimately the problem. It's that force inside of him instead. Mm-hmm. And also that force that is trying to corrupt the world um, of Paralandra, right? Not not really Weston, though 
Weston's um, greed brought him there. Um, so what am I trying to say? That there is still an evil, there is still evil. Evil is a thing that is experienced in our day to day. And I don't know a better way to say it than that. It, it spreads. It, it, it starts in some form. And again, what the devil character in this book is trying to do is appeal to desires of the queen that are already there. The queen wants to be beautiful in her natural state. She is beautiful Mm -hmm. and suddenly thinks that she can become more beautiful. And so Satan is trying to pull on that thread there. Um, Oh, interesting. Okay. So there was in, so I subscribed to the Forma periodical um, and they had an an article in there about Augustine talking about evil, which I thought was really kind of interesting because we just had the podcast on it. I'm not saying that they listened to us, Um, but they were in the article. They drew a distinction between um, being something imperfect is not the same thing as something sinful or fallen. Um, and there's, there's something about, so the queen realizes that she's imperfect because she's young and hasn't grown up and wants to be wise. Right. But that is, that imperfection isn't a fallenness and it isn't a sin and it's not evil. Um, but there is something incomplete. So you can be a sinless creature that's incomplete and, um, and this is so the, uh, the author was saying that this is one of Augustine's positions about the garden is that like you have Adam and Eve who were incomplete humans that won't be made complete until until well according to Milton until they finished the garden but according to our tradition um, until Christ um, then that gets into the whole questions of like did the fall have to happen but. I guess Lewis is saying that no, the fall doesn't it have did to did not happen. have to happen and says that explicitly. That's what's one of the arguments that the Satan figure puts forward is that this, this, has to this is a necessary step in the evolution of this society. Mm. You must do this for the good of your world. Mm-hmm. Obviously he's lying. They have a great life even without, they have an option without the fall. it. Yeah. But then there's also, they have the opportunity to be made perfect without the fall. Yes, that's right. Cause this is a lot of things that, the students come away with in paradise lost is well the fall has to happen so that i can know jesus and know god and be made perfect it's like which lewis would say isn't true lewis would say is not true and interesting in this section at the end of the book there's this ransom's trying to understand like what's next for the this these people Mm -hmm. and it's they have work to do on this world they Mm -hmm. have they are going Mm -hmm. to fix up this um the fixed land they're going to make a monument to god there um but then when what we would call end times happen. They only call that a beginning. That's where they, they will become whatever is next for them, mm-hmm. but not until God is ready, not until they're brought into that next mm-hmm. stage. Interesting. Cool. I'm going to say something. Oh, I thought, okay. So just to, uh, what's the, I'm probably getting too allegorical with it and I apologize because it's also the last. Yeah, Lewis will come after you. I don't really, you know, anyway. So that there is this, um, evil is a real thing that we will encounter in that its desire is to spread. And I know I'm giving, um, mm-hmm. I'm giving like will to it, but its desire is to spread, not just and not to just stay in the one area where it exists in the first place. Part of me wanting to do this episode now is that we're near the beginning of a new year, where people are thinking about New Year's resolutions, and I, I think a resolution often is focused around wanting to do something better. I, I, I would just, I would consider where in your life is there an evil that has some kind of foothold in your life? Where's, where's a habit in your life that is bringing you? Um, pain that is making your life worse than it could be. Um, that habit won't be happy to stay just by itself. It will lead to something else if it's fed and allowed to fester. Um, and that whatever that evil thing is, whatever that thing that's wasting your time probably can't be reasoned with. Hmm. Um, it's not something that you can, depending on the nature of it, you can't just say, you know, um, I'll only be a glutton on Tuesdays, right? It's, it, it will want to spread and, um, you can't contain it. It's something that ultimately has to be killed. Um, that's why one, an old, an old phrase for getting rid of sin is mortification. It's the actual killing of that sin. So that's something to be, to be considering going into the new year. And what's the point of all this is that the eradication of this sin is to make us worthy, um, rulers. That's what they're called King and queen in this book. But the goal is for us to be rulers of ourselves so that we can rule over some, some type of external creation to ourselves so the first step of ruling is the ruling of oneself so just 
again, I'm, I'm, I'm being too allegorical with it, but that's something that I got from reading through this book. I'm fired up. Yeah. Are you really? Yep. Okay, good. Wow. Okay. You're getting this on the 7th of January. So hopefully this will, yeah, this will set you up for the next 11 and a half months. Yep. I hope. Roll roll. Nailed it. Let's do it. That is Paraland. Mortify the flesh. Do it. Um, cool. Well, thanks. Maybe now I want, now I feel like I want to read it. I know it's in my box of books in my storage barn somewhere. Good luck. Um, you probably have many books in there. Oh my word. I can't wait for my library to be done. Um, but and your house in my house. Okay. Um, this has been classical stuff. You should know with AJ Thomas and Graham. Uh, you can find us at classicalstuff.net. You can email us at the guys at classicalstuff.net. You can patronize us on Patreon. You can, uh, Tweet at us on the twits at classical stuff, C L S S C A L stuff. And we thank you for listening and we hope good luck with the mortification of the flesh in the, this year ahead. This yeah. is us signing off. Bye. Bye. Ciao.